Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Because four hours simply isn't enough. This is Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. Jonathan V. Last is the executive editor for The Bulwark. He's the author of a number of fine books, uh, including The Seven Deadly Virtues, which was uh, very successful. And he crassly cashed in on that uh, success with The Dadly Virtues and The Christmas Virtues, which are both charming. Uh, The new book is What to Expect When No One's Expecting about demographics. In fact, the subtitle is instructive, What to Expect When No One's Expecting America's Coming Demographic Disaster. Well, that's cheery. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? Hey there. You know, I'm hard at work on the Arbor Day virtue, which I think is <laughs> deeply important and something that that literally dozens of Americans are going you know, to lap up. That's been our go-to for stupid holiday references for a very long time, Arbor Day. I'm not anti-tree. Who could be? <laughs> but a day? Really? So one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is we've been talking about this a lot for years, this whole people not having kids thing. And one, it's just weird. What... And, and how it doesn't get talked about. Imagine if deer or whales or whatever animal just stopped reproducing. You'd think it would get people's attention. Scientists would be beside themselves. But people have stopped reproducing, and it doesn't get that much attention. Plus, the whole demographic thing. And uh, I was looking at the blurb on your book from Tucker Carlson when he said, America is changing more quickly than ever before. And this book explains why. Both things don't get enough a, a conversation. America's changed so much, so fast in the last few years. It's just it's mind-boggling. You can barely keep up with it. What's driving all that? Well, there's <laughs> the answer is everything. This is you know you, you asked why do people not have kids? Uh, I mean, do you guys have kids? Yes, yes, both of us. Okay, do. So you know why people don't have kids? It's horrible <laughs> to, to some extent. Yeah. 
this is, you know, uh, being being a single human being with money in your pocket or being married to a great gal uh, and living the life of, I don't know, like either traveling all the time or sitting, reading the Wall Street Journal weekend section over espresso and croissants on a quiet Saturday morning. Like those those things should all go away the minute you have kids. Uh, and so there's a lot of things going on in America. There is uh, the rise of contraception. There is the increasing percentage of people going to college, the increasing costs of college. Uh, there is uh, the delay of family formation, people waiting longer to get married. There's divorce, people getting divorced more often. Uh, there's just a lot. And when you pull back, I would say this, if you pull back to the 35,000 square foot uh, a 30, 35,000-foot view of all of this, what you would say is, you would say, actually, it looks like America is arranged to discourage people from having kids. We do not live in a society that is built to encourage people uh, having kids. Having kids is a gigantic cost. Uh, on average, it's about $1.1 million once you factor in college and foregone spousal wages. And, you know, so like $1.1 million is real money. The average cost of a house in America, I think right now, is about $289,000. So having a kid is like, you know, buying four houses, but you can't sell them. And then after 15 years, they yell, I hate you and slam the door. Like, <laughs> why would anybody do this? Yeah, I, I hate to argue with your whole premise. I just, I have not believed a lot of what you just said and what a lot of people say about this stuff. And I'll tell you why. I got I got married fairly late or got uh, had kids fairly late in life. So I did the single lifestyle until I was 45. I understand all the pleasures of the single lifestyle, and there are a lot Hookers of them there. And, blow, right? and, and, and <laughs> all of it does go away when you have kids. Um, I wouldn't trade it, and if I have any regrets, it's I wish I had to start having kids earlier. But the, the And then moving to California, when I realized that people had stopped dating, I was from the Midwest, and people were still dating. People had slowed down on the getting married and having kids, but people were still dating. Then I moved to the coast, and I'm surrounded by people in their 20s and 30s who were just not even boyfriend, girlfriend. They didn't have a boyfriend or girlfriend and didn't seem to have any interest in getting a boyfriend or girlfriend. Everybody I grew up with had a boyfriend or girlfriend. Now that's starting to change in the Midwest. There's something deeper going on. It's not people sitting around making a conscious decision. It would cost this. These are the five things, boy, and college costs. It, there's it's something. There's a decrease in coupling. Yeah, there's less sex. There's just less getting together. There's something deeper going on, and I find that more interesting rather than less interesting. How does that even happen in a culture? Uh, it, it is happening. You know, we see this actually most pronounced in Japan. There have been a couple a couple surveys of teenage boys over the last five years or so where. Gosh, I'm forgetting the exact number, but it's something insane, like 35% of teenage boys saying, just not interested in having sex with a girl if she were to answer, if she were to offer it. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's astounding. That'd be like turning boys. down my next breath yeah, as a because, teenager. Because what of getting to the... the are that any 15-year-old boy you've ever met would say no to sex? Right. Well, getting to the whole... Like, getting no to the whole... The, the, the kids thing. Th- that doesn't explain dating less. You don't need to have kids because you got a girlfriend when you're 24. I didn't. Uh, for a long time after that, but I wanted to have a girlfriend, and people just have stopped coupling. And I don't know if that's driven by social media or something in the water or what, but, you know, the example you just gave, that's weird. Like <laughs> like I already said, if bears stopped coupling, we would think, what the hell has happened to the environment? Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. And, you know, what's funny is that it's, this has happened as we've become more secular. And if you had just jumped back to, like, 1975, or, heck, jump back to 1968, to the summer of love, uh, if I had said to you, hey, guess what? 
in 50 years, this will be a markedly less religious country. Uh, do you think people will be having more sex or less sex? What would everybody have said? Oh, yeah, it'd right. be unanimous. Yeah, right. constant sex. it turns sex. out not to be the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, moving on from what's causing it, which is obviously something that's going to occupy the great minds for a, a very long time. Um, what can we expect when no one's expecting? Uh, you call it America's coming demographic disaster. Why? It's one of these things where it would be okay if it was just us. You know, if it was just America, then we have pretty high immigration rate. We would muddle through. There would be all sorts of problems with Medicare and Social Security. But, you know, eventually we'd fix that. If it was just, say, Japan, well, that would be fine. The problem is that it's almost everywhere. So this is this slow rolling trend, which is hitting something like 97% of all the countries in the world. Uh, and it's going to cause instability in one place after another. You know, it's, when it happens in Ethiopia and Iran and China and Russia and Germany and Japan, and we're dealing with it over here, that's when all of a sudden you can see how the wheels could come off the cart, right? So when you have deeply destabilizing trends happening just about everywhere, and some places are liberal democracies, which are reasonably well-equipped to handle such destabilization, and others are not, then you can see your way to a world in which all of a sudden, all a lot of the things that we take for granted suddenly can't be taken that way anymore. Well, first of all, it's it's news to me that it's that universal birth rates dropping. But why would it cause the instability you're talking about? It is is it just the need for young workers and young people to support oldsters? Well, so it, different instability in different places. Uh, so China, I'll just do I'll do China and America for you because they are sort of polar opposites. So uh, in China, the problem is you're going to have about 300 million people over the age of 65 who have nobody to take care of them financially. And they don't have a pension system. There is no Social Security wow. over there. there is 300 no there. million. 300 Yikes. million people. So That's what's incredible. going to happen with that? Right. So does the government just send those people out to the countryside to die? Right. You then on top of that have a whole bunch of guys because they do a lot of sex selective abortion over there. So there's a lot more boys born normally than, than girls. Uh, ship so them over here. We'll cohort. teach them how to not care about that or ship well, them to Japan. You know, but you're going to have a couple tens of millions of guys who simply can't get married because there aren't women to marry them. Uh, traditionally, un, you know, unmarried young men cause trouble in societies. That's never like a, a recipe for, for good things. Yeah, no kidding. So you, you can see, you know, and all this is with an authoritarian government uh, whose stability is basically predicated on uh, rising economic success, and you wind up with a labor shortage, and so that causes problems with that. Anyway, so you can see what, what happens in China. And then in America, you know, so we have the average age increasing, and so this is the real problem. The problem is never about the number of people when you are talking about, uh, you know, sort of broad broad-based demographics. It's about the age structure. Traditionally, your age structure is supposed to look kind of like an obelisk. So, you know, a lot of it's thicker on the bottom, and then it's reasonably constant, and then it narrows at the top. Here, we're going to look more like an inverted pyramid. And so you're going to wind up with a whole bunch of old people to whom you have promised enormous economic benefits and then fewer younger workers to support them. I mean, when Social Security was first stood up, I think we had 16 workers for every old person. We're now down to about 2.3 workers wow. for every old person. Wow. Uh, and so how, soon do do? Do your, how soon do does it get to How soon does it get to one to one? It's probably not that far off. 
uh, it's like 50 years out or something like that. And so what do you do? Do you break your promises to all these old folks who have arranged their lives uh, because they anticipated the economics that they were promised? Or do you increase the tax burden on young workers, which could have the unintended consequence of making them have even fewer kids, which then accelerates your problem? Well, yeah, if you combine the demographic problem with our current uh, penchant for overspending and sticking the uh, kids and grandkids with the debt, I mean, you're talking about enormous tax, confiscatory tax rates that, you know, are unseen outside of the Scandinavian countries. Yeah, yeah, basically. It's not good. (laughs) No, no. Well, and meanwhile... Listen, demography matters and and culture matters, and you'll have the developed countries of Europe becoming uh, France less and less France, Italy less and less Italy, Germany likewise, more social strife there, and probably more violence and and the rest of it. That won't help. Yeah, and and you you know in the you get it coming and going, right? So the reaction you get to say. Uh, France becoming less French is that you wind up with the rise of like nationalism among the native-born Frenchmen uh, who are left, and you see this across. You've seen it literally across all of Europe. So this is, you know, this is <laughs> this is not good. This is why I've been sounding the alarm. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, I would it's... say it is important to understand. Like, I uh, it isn't just me over in Europe and all throughout Asia. Everybody who studies demographics seriously has been obsessed with exactly this question for the last generation. Uh, We hear a lot about overpopulation in just like the mainstream media. And nobody who studies demographics seriously has worried about that for 50 years. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, So uh, I know authors like it when I mention other authors' books, but uh, reading Mark Stein's America Alone years ago was first started me down this road, and I've been pretty obsessed with it since then. As you said, once you become aware of it, it seems like practically the only thing that matters to the future of world history. But at what point do we start shrinking in population on the planet when you start going backwards? Yeah, Stein's book is great. Uh, So we think that we peak around 2075 and start shrinking back then. Uh, It really depends on what happens in sub-Saharan Africa. The only countries which have not begun what they call the second demographic transition, which is when your your fertility rates really fall off the table, are a narrow band of countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Everybody else is there. The Middle East is there. I mean, people don't realize this. The fertility rate in Iran is lower than it is in America. Didn't wow. know that. Is, it, really, it really is global. Uh, so we think we're going to peak somewhere between 9 and 12 billion. Uh, we think it'll be sometime around 2075. And things could change. I mean, this is, I, I always get a little bit nervous about looking at the population projections and pretending that they are written in stone. Because if I had come to you in 1965 uh, and said, hey, our fertility rate in America is about to basically fall in half, uh, you would say, well, why? It's been for 20 years. We've had uh, largely above replacement fertility. We've been in the middle of the baby boom. Why would you think it would change? But it did. The baby boom ended and people started behaving differently. So it is possible that things could change, uh, but we just haven't seen any evidence to suggest that they will. Wow. Wow. This is so interesting uh, on so many levels from the the financials we've been discussing to the purely biological and the rest of it. Why comfort and pleasure and, well, I think it's about self-centeredness, uh, honestly, um, 
and that's that's an overly simplistic term, but you know, I enjoyed the seven deadly virtues, your your book, and but I'm looking at the list of books. You enjoy the, the book, or you enjoy the the virtues yourself? Well, I, I like to think I I may display a couple okay. of them at least, but um, I find the use of the term virtues uh, quaintly uh, anachronistic. Uh, who do you have? Uh, who do you hear run around talking about? You know, the, the community and virtues and, and sacrifice and that sort of thing. Man, we're a self-seeking uh, world at this point. You know, let me, if, can, can I just like dilate on that for 45 seconds? Because <laughs> Feel it, free or, or tell you, me I'm full of crap. You, I don't care. Go ahead. No, no, you are right, but you're ripe in like, you are right in the deepest possible sense. You know, so I, a lot of people say, oh, what you have here is a bunch of selfish people who are, don't want to have families because they're living for themselves. Uh, and I think that that is wrong in some ways and right in others. So it's wrong in this way. We have an entire couple of generations of kids in America here who all they do is delay gratification. They really want to get into a good college, and so they don't screw around in high school. They get to college. They want to get into a good law school or medical school, so they really knuckle down. And they're always sort of pushing off what they're going to be. You know, and then they get out of law school or graduate school, and they want to – have a family, but they think, well, no, I really want to get my career sorted out first before I go doing that. And then they sort of look up and they're 42 years old and they think, hey, I got to start living. That is, that is self-centeredness, but not self-centeredness the way we have traditionally thought of it. Traditionally. Yeah, you couldn't describe like it as pleasure seeking, person, I guess. Yeah. They, you would say, oh, well, this is a person who just sort of plays all day and never wants to do hard work. And instead we have it the opposite. All of which leads me to this. Uh, the single best predictor of completed fertility in America uh, is not race. It is not geography. It is not income. It is not even your religion. It is your religiosity, which is to say how many times you attend religious services. And I think that that is deeply revealing about what we mean when we say selfishness and self-centeredness. Because it doesn't matter if you are Christian, Muslim, Jew, uh, Catholic, Protestant, Mormon, all that matters is how often you show up at church. And if you can, if I can, if you tell me how often you show up at church, I can do a pretty good guessing job of figuring out how many kids you have. And this tells me that there is something about religion qua religion. It's not about any particular religious commandment. It's not about be fruitful and multiply or anything like that. But it is about seeing the world through the lens of somebody who believes that you have a duty to people past behind you already dead and a duty to people in front of you not yet born hmm. and that that is like the very fundamental difference in worldview between people who have kids and people who don't now is that true for iran and all these other countries that are going the wrong direction uh, fertility wise also uh no i mean so everything so we have a lot of uh, very general factors that influence everybody like for instance the single biggest driver in fertility drop uh, is the drop in infant mortality rates so, which is a good thing, right? I mean, it used to be that you would have 12 kids and then like six of them would survive to age 10. That is no longer the case. And as infant mortality drops, you see fertility dropping a straight line with it. That affects everybody. But then there are particular causes that you notice in, in you know, specific cases. So, you, you know, what the particular causes in Japan are different from the particular causes in Germany, which are different from the particular causes here in America. Yeah, okay. All That's right. interesting, but all go in the same direction. Yes. Yeah, you would think, wouldn't you, that there would be a boom in fertility in certain places just because of the, you know, the the, the wide variety of the way human beings approach life. But 
and there's a lot of a lot to get your arms around. Um, well, conflict states. I mean, this is one of the, one of the interesting things where you see fertility uh, tending to remain very high are places which are in constant warfare, such as Afghanistan, such as Yemen. So places where people have been fighting one another uh, without stop for, you know, 40 years, 100 years, 400 years maybe, uh, their fertility rates remain quite high. And this seems to be in the most, ob- for the most obvious reason you can imagine, which is if all you do is fight wars, you need a lot of sons. Wow. Wow. I don't, I've said many times, Jonathan, that uh, homo sapiens are my least favorite species. I'm, uh, this has done nothing yeah, to shake that. that. People are garbage. I, this is one of the, my, my lodestars in life. So I, I know that 2.1 births per woman is the, the cutoff. You go below that and you start shrinking. But there's a number where you can't recover, I know, somewhere around there. And uh, your Italy's and some of those countries are there, aren't they? Where, where you just can't make a comeback. Yeah, so the, the, what we call lowest low fertility is about 1.3 ch- children per woman. Uh, and that's the completed fertility number. And I would say, to, again, to be careful, it isn't that a society can't come back from lowest low, but nobody has ever seen one do it. So, okay. I mean, there are we, one of these, we have this thing. So over you're the last saying there's years, a chance. Where, <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. We have had this, this weird thing over the last 20 years or so where we have had a series of moments where uh, demographers have recorded what has been the lowest fertility rate ever recorded. You know, and and then people keep breaking the record. And and each time people have thought, okay, so it probably can't. This is lowest low. It can't go any lower. You will wind up bumping up against some natural carnal desires that like really force people into having kids. And it doesn't happen. Uh, The lowest I've seen, I think, is just under 1.1 in Singapore. Uh, You know, and and that is coupled with in Singapore, some of the most aggressively pronatalist policies you've ever seen. And the type of stuff that if you had made me king of Singapore uh, and told me, you know, and told me that my number one mandate was just to have kids, uh, have people making more babies, I would have done basically what the, Sing- the government of Singapore has done. And it's had no effect. Yeah. Have, have you seen any of those pro uh, having babies policies, whether Japan or Europe or Singapore? Have you ever seen any of them do any good or any significant uh, good? So not significant good. You you get little bits of good here and there. Uh, by good, I, I should say what we mean is actually like returns. Yeah. Uh, there may be moral goods to these things. I, I myself would love to have had some pronatalist policies here in America to make my family's life easier. I'm sure you guys would have mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but there's, there's been a lot of econometric analysis on this, and you get pennies on the dollar back in terms of spend. You know, this is, interestingly enough, the, the single the single best example of this was in the Republic of Georgia. And uh, Georgians uh, are pretty religious as a people. They have like a national church, the, the Georgian Orthodox Church. Uh, something like 95% of Georgians belong to it. They seem to practice pretty well. And uh, the Georgian patriarch, Ilya II, uh, came out and said that he would baptize every third kid, uh, every third born kid personally. So this is like, you know, if you're Catholic, like the Pope saying, hey, if you have a third kid, I'll baptize the kid myself. Wow. Uh, Now that's a promotion. uh, (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then you get a toaster. Right, uh, exactly. And uh, the fertility rate jumped, like jumped overnight in measurable and sustained way. Uh, So, and again, this, I think, speaks to what we were talking about, uh, having a worldview that is compatible 
I, I mean, I like to try to make this as ecumenical as possible, but just with the idea of deism and the idea of the self as not actually being the center of the universe. Yeah, it, but it's, you know, it builds upon itself, obviously, because if you are single and childless, you can hear all the stories about how, you know, the, the American culture will just disappear with the people and it will cease to exist. You don't care. You'll be dead. And I care about stuff because I have kids and I want them to live in a country that's a certain way. But if you don't have any kids, yeah. you don't freaking care. Once you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, it's, so it builds on itself. Yeah. You know, I, one of my demographer friends, a guy named Phil Longman, who is like a, a liberal version of me, but plus 50 IQ points. And uh, he wrote a great piece about 10 years ago for Foreign Affairs magazine saying that, uh, look, if, if all the nice liberal people who listen to NPR don't have kids, then like the patriarchs will, you know, the patriarchy will run, take over the world. It'll be the, you know, the most illiberal people, you know, the people who watch NASCAR in Iran, it'll be the mullahs. Like, you know, don't you, don't you, you don't want to give the world over to them. Like you're, you're listening to NPR, go out, put on some Barry White and make some bad decisions. And right. uh, I, I would say his call was, has not been heated yet. Wow. Yeah. That is an interesting point and well said by him. So I got a question for Jack here with, if the Pope uh, promised you he'd show up and baptize kid number three or bless him or whatever, would that uh, be incentive enough? I can't imagine a culture where that worked because, you know, if you have kids, that's, that's a terrible reason to decide how many have kids you're going to have. How about if like Eric Clapton showed up, blessed the kid and gave you a guitar lesson? Would that be, would any celebrity appearance? No, no. and I just, no? I just think in general, these aren't rational decisions. I just find that very hard to believe. There's something deeper going on. I don't know what it is, and I don't think anybody really knows. What Although I think, you know, we, we've certainly touched on it. I get the, the idea of a connection to the past and the future based on, you know, uh, belief in a greater power or greater meaning to life. Uh, at the same time, it is the basest, literally the uh, basest biological urge. Yeah, that's what blows my mind. That's our entire uh, most bio- basic. That's our basis. that's our entire biological directive. It's in the our, only reason we're here in our DNA is to reproduce, and we've stopped. I mean, how does that not get more people's attention? I'm asking you, Jonathan. Don't ask me. I wrote the book on it, dude. <laughs> and he still doesn't know. Years of my I mean, life on this book. <laughs> I mean, aren't you? Aren't you amazed that more people don't talk about this or amazed by it? Uh, I am. I, you know, I've had to be careful. Have you ever run into the type of guy who's like into numerology? Sure. You know, who sit down and be like, well, actually, if you look at what the number seven does in the, <laughs> you know, it actually explains everything. Demographics. If you dive deep enough into it, you wind up sounding like one of those guys. Gotcha. You know, like I looked at the real estate bubble and I was like, oh, yeah, it's all demographics. You know, like I was just looking at the age cohorts and people that they move into prime uh, prime home buying years mixed with like the old folks who are cashing out. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is all demographics. And so you can wind up being too obsessed with it. You know, one of the reasons that I, I think this tends to be a little under the radar is that it all just moves so slowly. Like, there's never a blockbuster moment where, like, oh, look at that. Like, the demographic shoe finally dropped. Like, these things, it's, it's like a glacier, you know, sure. or a tectonic plate. It's just moving, and you, you can't stop it, really. You can't change it. All you can do is sort of sit there and watch it and be like, oh, yeah, well, there it goes. It's been another 12 inches. So, uh, yeah, it's it's funny. And it's also complicated because, you know, like, everybody's ox is getting gored by this, and people tend <laughs> – I'd say there, there are no easy solutions. Like the environmentalists hate talking about this. The nationalists hate talking about this. 
because nobody nobody ever really gets what they want out of the subject. You're right. Yeah, I could see that. Jonathan V. Last, executive editor for The Bulwark. The book is What to Expect When No One's Expecting America's Coming Demographic Disaster. Jonathan, it's always great when we get a chance to chat. Uh, we appreciate the time and good luck with the book. Thanks, guys. Good to talk. Thanks. I'm uh, I've been a fan of his whenever I catch him on some TV show or anything like that and get to see it I always like it. I'll I'll never believe that it's uh a lot of the things that he mentions as a cause. I'll just never believe that. At that. the outset, yeah. Yeah. I, I just agree. don't believe it's it's the cost of housing today or anything like that. I I don't think my parents, their parents, people are were making those decisions when it came to having kids. No. It was the the only thing that mattered to you or your or not. I wanted a girlfriend every minute of my life past age twelve or so. And Judy and I got married, and we were talking about, yeah, I'm not sure we want kids. No, me neither. And then there was like one week when all of a sudden we just really wanted kids more than anything else in the world. And there was absolutely no calculation of direct and indirect economic benefits and then blah, blah. None of that. None of that. Right. And that urge is uh, going away. If it were antelopes, the scientific world would be in a panic. Oh, and it'd be global warming, and people would be willing to upend economies to try to fix that problem because it's so important. It's happening a world with, without antelopes. It's happening with human would beings. Be in the theater, narrated by Al Gore. And nobody cares. <laughs> oh, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There you go. The book is What to Expect When No One's Expecting America's Coming Demographic Disaster. Dig it, man. Dig it. Extra large. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.